Thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. If you have not, be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight, where we have some amazing merch and plenty of other things for you guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I'm your host, Derek Baker. And today, we're going to be talking about hell and all of the beautiful spawn that have come through it in the form of all the characters in Diablo. Diablo, what a game. Diablo, we're going to talk about the first Diablo today, but Diablo 2, such a massive, massive undertaking. I think within the Diablo series, there's some things that have been criticized greatly later on in this series, in 3 and 4, but some really, really classic games in those first two for sure. Yeah, Diablo 2 especially like was the game. I mean, most of the 2s, at least as far as Blizzard's concerned, are basically the gold standard for most of what they have. But we're going to be talking about the first one, the start of it all in Diablo. So Diablo is an action role-playing video game developed by Blizzard North and released by Blizzard Entertainment in January 1997 and is the first installment in the video game series of the same name. Set in the fictional kingdom of Kandaras in the mortal realm, the player controls a lone hero battling to rid the world of Diablo, the Lord of Terror. Beneath the town of Tristram, the player journeys through 16 randomly generated dungeon levels, ultimately entering Hell in order to face Diablo. An expansion pack, Diablo Hellfire, was released in November 1997 by Synergistic Software. In 1998, EA released Diablo for the PlayStation. This version, developed by Climax Studios, featured direct control of the main character's direction using the PlayStation controller as opposed to point-and-click movement. A Sega Saturn version was considered by Electronic Arts, but never released. Diablo's been considered one of the greatest games of all times for its randomized assignment of quests and enemies on each playthrough, online multiplayer, and graphics. The game's success led to two and now three sequels of Diablo 2 in 2000, Diablo 3 in 2012, and Diablo 4 in 2023. And also in 2022, a mobile device-oriented version, Diablo Immortal, a.k.a. You All Have Phones, Don't You, was released. So, of course, we mentioned Blizzard, and Blizzard Entertainment was founded by Michael Morhaime, Alan Adam, and Frank Pierce, a silicone and synapse, in February 1991, after all three had earned their bachelor's degrees from the University of California, Los Angeles, the year prior. The name Silicon and Synapse was a high concept from the three founders, with Silicon representing the building block of a computer, while Synapse the building block of the brain. The initial logo was created by Stu Rose. To fund the company, each of them contributed about $10,000, Morhaime borrowing the sum interest-free from his grandmother. During the first two years, the company focused on creating game ports for other studios. Ports include titles such as J.R.R. Tolkien's the Lord of the Rings Volume 1, and Battle Chess 2, Chinese Chess. In 1993, the company developed games such as Rock and Roll Racing and The Lost Vikings, which was published by Interplay Productions. Around 1993, co-founder Adam told the other executives that he did not like the name Silicon and Synapse anymore, as people outside the company were confusing the meaning of silicon, the chemical element used in microchips, with silicone the materials used in breast implants. By the end of 1993, Adam changed the name to Chaos Studios, reflecting on the haphazardness of their development processes. In early 1994, they were acquired by distributor Davidson & Associates for $6.75 million 
or about $12.3 million in today's standards. Shortly after this point, they were contacted by a Florida company, Chaos Technologies, who wanted the company to pay $100,000 U.S. dollars to keep the name. Not wanting to pay the sum, the executives decided to change the studio's name to Ogre Studios by April 1994. However, Davidson & Associates did not like this name and forced the company to change it. According to Morhaim, Adam began running through a dictionary from the start, writing down any word that seemed interesting and passing it to the legal department to see if it had any complications. One of the first words they found to be interesting and cleared the legal check was Blizzard, leading them to change their name to Blizzard Entertainment by May of 1994. Shortly thereafter, Blizzard Entertainment shipped their breakthrough hit, Warcraft, Orcs and Humans, a real-time strategy game in a high fantasy setting. Blizzard Entertainment has changed hands several times since then. Davidson was acquired along with Sierra Online by a company called CUC International in 1996. CUC then merged with a hotel, real estate, and car rental franchiser called HFS Corporation to form Sendent in 1997. In 1998, it became apparent that CUC had engaged in accounting fraud for years before the merger. Sendent's stock lost 80% of its value over the next six months in the ensuing widely discussed accounting scandal. The company sold its consumer software operations, Sierra Online, which included Blizzard, to French publisher Havas in 1998, the same year Havas was purchased by Vivendi. Blizzard, at this point numbering about 200 employees, became part of the Vivendi Games group of Vivendi. In 1996, Blizzard Entertainment acquired Condor Games of San Mateo, California, which had been working on the action role-playing game Diablo for Blizzard at the time. Condor was renamed Blizzard North, with Blizzard's main headquarters in Irvine renamed to Blizzard South to distinguish the two. Diablo was released at the very start of 1997 alongside Battle.net, a matchmaking service for the game. Now, when it came to developing Diablo, the game itself was conceived by David Brevik during the development of the fighting game Justice League Task Force in 1995, which was developed by Japanese studio Sunsoft with two American studios, Condor Games, later known as Blizzard North, on the Sega Genesis version and Silicon and Synapse, on the SNES version, which, by the end of Justice League Task Force development, had renamed themselves Blizzard Entertainment. Brevik's concept was a personal computer game based heavily on the roguelike genre that featured turn-based gameplay, but he wanted to improve how quickly the player would be able to get into the game compared to typical role-playing games. Brevik was inspired by NHL 94, and similar sports games to make it so that players only had to select a predetermined class and would be able to jump into the game with minimal interactions. Brevik also wanted these classes to be combinations of typical character classes so that players would not be overly restricted in what type of attacks or equipment they could use. A further departure from the roguelike approach was to make the loot system from felled monsters more expansive. According to Matt Barton, the game Telengrad released by Avalon Hill in 1982, influenced the development of Diablo. Barton and Bill Leguidas also cite the Legend of Zelda series, as does I think every developer ever, as an influence on Diablo, particularly its move towards real-time action, away from the stat-heavy, turn-based gameplay of earlier computer RPGs. Brevik also wanted a modern and cool interface, intended to bring the quick directness of console games as well as Doom, to computer RPGs. He had named the game idea Diablo based on Mount Diablo, which was where Brevik lived when he conceived of the game idea. Condor started development while pitching the game to publishers. Bill Roper said that the team's initial pitch, in a nutshell, was to take the excitement and randomness of games like Moria, NetHack, and Rogue and bring them into the 1990s with fantastic graphics and sound. Condor Games had tried to shop Brevik's idea to other publishers, but was turned down on the grounds that RPGs are dead. While Condor sought a publisher for Brevik's idea, Blizzard had completed their next game, the real-time strategy Warcraft Orcs and Humans, for the personal computer. Condor Games saw Blizzard shared their same interest in PC games and pitched Brevik's idea to them. 
About three to four months into development, Blizzard offered to work with them on Diablo, but requested two major changes. To make it real-time and to have multiplayer, having had done these steps during their work in creating Warcraft. Brevik did not want to change the turn-based nature of his game at first, fearing that it would add extra time onto development, and Condor's development team put the idea to a vote, with the real-time approach winning out. Brevik prepared Blizzard for the potential added development time and to ask for extra development costs, and then on a Friday afternoon, as everyone had left, started to toy around with converting the game from turn-based to real-time. Within hours, he had the basics of the system in place, and was able to show this to the rest of Condor by the following Monday. They kept this news from Blizzard for a short while, but eventually revealed how fast they had come up with the change, which Blizzard readily accepted. The game was also originally conceived to be made in claymation, much like Clay Fighter, but they decided to have a 3D isometric style instead. In 1996, as development on Diablo continued, Blizzard acquired Condor Games. Blizzard named their Irvine, California location to Blizzard South and Condor Games to Blizzard North to distinguish their studios. Around eight months before the planned release, Blizzard South were finishing up Warcraft 2 and began focusing on the upcoming release of Diablo. Blizzard did not want to rely on existing online gaming services like Total Entertainment Network for matchmaking. While Blizzard North finished up Diablo, Blizzard South began development on the basis of Battle.net. According to Brevik, when Blizzard South came up to start to see how Diablo's multiplayer code would incorporate with Battle.net, they discovered then that Diablo had no multiplayer code as Brevik nor others had any idea how to write such code. Blizzard South sent employees up to Blizzard North, including Mike O'Brien, at that point to incorporate multiplayer for Diablo and interface with Battle.net over the last six months of development. Brevik revealed in 2018 that he initially hated the ending because it was the cinematic department's idea and he had no input on it whatsoever. It was too late to change anything and Brevik was very upset about it, but as time went on, he learned to appreciate the ending. Now, as we know, Diablo is an action role-playing video game. The player moves and interacts with the environment primarily by way of a mouse. Other actions, such as casting a spell, are performed in response to keyboard inputs. The player can acquire items, learn spells, defeat enemies, and interact with NPCs throughout the game. The dungeon levels are procedurally generated, with themes for each level. For instance, the catacombs tend to have long corridors and closed rooms, while the caves are more non-linear. The players are assigned a random number of quests from several tiers. These quests are optional, but usually offer powerful unique items as rewards and help to level up the character and or reveal more of the backstory. The final two quests are mandatory in order to finish the game. Diablo has three character classes, the warrior, the rogue, and the sorcerer. Each class has a different level of assigned attributes along with a unique skill. Each class is capable of using almost all of the same items and spells, in contrast to later titles in the Diablo series, which have class-specific items and spells and skills. However, the limitations in the attributes for each class reward play that utilizes them efficiently. For instance, the warrior's low maximum level of magic prevents him from learning the higher levels of powerful spells like the sorcerer. Instead, the warrior is best suited to melee with a faster weapon swing plus a critical strike for bonus damage. And let's break down these classes. There's Warrior, the most physically able of the three. The warrior is a close quarters fighter and can generally take the most physical damage. The warrior's primary character attribute is Strength. The warrior starts with a skill to repair objects in his possession at the cost of overall durability. There's the Rogue, a master of ranged weapons, and while not as strong as the Warrior, the Rogue is very effective at attacking enemies from a distance with the bow. A jack-of-all-trades class, the Rogue has higher magic than the Warrior, so they can better make use of spells, while also fares better in melee than a Sorcerer. The Rogue's primary character attribute is Dexterity, and the Rogue's unique starting skill is the ability to disarm traps. And then there's the Sorcerer, a spellcaster being the most physically weak of the three classes, but can learn the most spells at the highest levels. The sorcerer's primary character attribute is magic, 
and the sorcerer's unique starting skill is the ability to recharge spell staves at the cost of lowering the maximum number of spell charges that the staff can hold. In the expansion set Diablo Hellfire, the monk was added, and the monk is proficient at melee combat with the staff. Two other classes, the bard and barbarian, were unfinished, but remain hidden characters in Diablo Hellfire and could be enabled using a hack. Using the in-game sprites of the rogue and warrior, respectively, the bard is capable of dual-wielding weapons, while the barbarian was a two-handed axe specialist. And now, one of the most notable things in the Diablo franchise is the item drops. You know, we see these in a lot of other games that have rarities from, you know, white to blue to purple to orange, you know, along those things. And this is where really where we start to see a lot of that come into play. White colored items are normal items. Blue colored items are magic items and gold colored items are unique items. Any items that are not white in color must be identified to make use of their magical effects. Although characters can use unidentified items as they would the base item. Magic items can have a maximum of two of these effects, but unique items can have as many as six. Furthermore, uniques can have special properties or properties not found in the usual prefixes or suffixes for that item type. Most uniques have a very rare chance of being dropped, although certain uniques are guaranteed quest rewards. Items wear down through use and have fixed amounts of durability that decrease as they receive damage. When an item's durability reaches zero, it is destroyed. Players can return to the town and pay a fee to an NPC, Griswold the blacksmith, to have the items restored, while the warrior can repair objects in his possession at the cost of overall durability. Bows are the ranged weapon of the game, best used by rogues. Staves, while capable of physical attacks, are mainly used for the spell charges that they contain, as casting from a staff does not require the player to learn the spell or use mana. A staff spell can only be cast a certain number of times before it requires a recharge, usually returning to town and paying an NPC, Adria the Witch, while the sorcerer can recharge the staff, which lowers the maximum number of spell charges. Swords are typically one-handed, though two-handed do exist, while axes are all two-handed. Maces and clubs add a 50% damage bonus against the undead. Two-handed melee weapons allow the player to inflict more damage. Shields, when paired with single-handed weapons, allow attacks to be blocked. There are three classifications of armor, light, medium, and heavy. Characters are also allowed to wear a helmet, two rings, and one amulet. Many higher-level weapons and armor can only be equipped if the player meets the minimum strength and or dexterity requirements. Books contain spell formula and cannot be used more than once. Reading the first book will place that particular spell in the character's repository, while using multiple books of the same spell will increase the spell level up to a maximum of 15. A character needs a minimum level of the magic attribute in order to read spell books, particularly in raising spells to higher levels, where they are more typically more powerful and effective while consuming less mana for each casting. Scrolls allow use of both spells not yet learned, as well as spells not available in book form, but vanish after one use. Many potions are available for use, including health and mana restoration, and elixirs that increase statistics. And of course, the multiplayer that we mentioned is available to up to four players. Multiplayer characters' states are saved periodically. Players can either be aggressive towards or play cooperatively with other players. Players can connect direct connection, modem connection, battle.net connection, or IPX network connection. The game lacks the stronger anti-cheating methods of Blizzard's later games, and as a result, many characters online were altered in various ways by common third-party programs known as trainers or game editing programs such as Cheat Engine. Now, the setting of Diablo includes the mortal realm, which is the world of man as well as the high heavens and the burning hells. After eons of war between angels and demons, the ascension of man prompted the three lords of hell, including Diablo himself, to seek victory through influence, prompting their exile into the mortal realm. There, they sowed chaos, distrust, and hatred among men until a group of magi called the Haradrim 
trapped them in enchanted crystals called soul stones. Diablo's soul stone was buried deep in the earth, and a monastery was built over the site. Generations passed, and the purpose of the monastery was forgotten. A small town named Tristram sprang up next to the monastery's ruins. When King Leoric rebuilt the monastery as a cathedral, Diablo manipulated its archbishop, Lazarus, to destroy his soulstone prison. Diablo briefly possessed the king, sending out his knights and priests to battle against peaceful kingdoms, and then possessed the king's son, Prince Albrecht, filling the caves and catacombs beneath the cathedral with creatures formed from Albrecht's nightmares. Tristram became a town of fear and horror, where people were abducted in the night. With no king, no law, and no army left to defend them, many villagers fled. And so we get to the story, and the game starts when the player's character arrives in Tristram. Several of the remaining townsfolk assist the player, such as Deckard Cain, the Elder. The labyrinth under the cathedral descends from the dungeon church to the catacombs, followed by the caves, and finally, hell itself, each with a mixture of undead, animals, and demons. King Leoric has been reanimated as the Skeleton King. Later in the game, the hero must defeat Archbishop Lazarus and eventually Diablo himself. At the end of the game, the hero kills Diablo's mortal form. The hero then takes the soul stone out of Diablo's forehead, after which Diablo transforms into a lifeless Prince Albrecht. The hero then drives the soul stone into his or her own forehead, and he or she contains the essence of Diablo within themselves. As told in the sequel Diablo 2, Canonically, the warrior was the hero that defeated Diablo only to become possessed. The rogue became Bloodraven, while the sorcerer became the false summoner, both of them NPC enemies. Diablo III further retconned the story by establishing the nameless warrior as Prince Aiden, the eldest son of Leoric and older brother of Albrecht. So interesting kind of tie-ins to it. And so the music and sound was composed by Matt Ullman. And the soundtrack itself consists of six tracks, and it was released after 15 years in 2011, and Matt went on to produce the rest of the music of Diablo, as well as other Blizzard and Warcraft properties, kind of becoming the go-to for all the sound in the series. Now, Diablo normally requires the original CD to play. However, also included on the disc is a shareware version of the software that could be played without the CD called Diablo Spawn. This version of the game allows access to the first two areas of the dungeon and locked out two of the three playable classes and many of the NPC townsfolk. It is playable in both single and multiplayer with those restrictions. The demo is also downloadable. In 2016, David Brevik stated that a dispute existed as to whether Diablo had been released in 1996 or 97. In 97 and 2000, Blizzard reported Diablo's release date as January of 97 and issued a press release on the 3rd of January to announce the game's availability in stores. At the time, CNET Game Center reported that Diablo's wide release occurred on January 6th. Conversely, Brevik argued in 2016 that the game was available in certain Western U.S. retailers by December 31st of 96, and Blizzard marked Diablo's 20th anniversary on December 31st of 2016. In 2019, Diablo was released digitally on GOG.com with minor enhancements. And we also had the expansion pack, which was made for Diablo known as Diablo Hellfire, which released in 97. It was produced by Synergistic Software and published by Sierra Entertainment rather than an in-house Blizzard North development team. The multiplayer feature of the expansion pack was disabled with version 1.01. The added content included two additional dungeon segments located within a new story sideline, several unique items and magical properties, spells, and a fourth class, the Monk. There are also two unfinished test classes, which we had talked about, the Bard and the Barbarian, and two quests, which could be accessed through a configuration file modification. Blizzard sold exclusive worldwide rights to develop, publish, and distribute console versions of the game to Electronic Arts in 1996. In 1998, 
a PlayStation version of Diablo was released, developed by Climax Studios and published by EA. The game lacked online play, but featured a two-player cooperative mode. Notable differences to the PC version include new lighting effects, auto-aiming for ranged weapons and spells, and an option for increased game speed. Despite the original PC game being based around mouse control, it does not support the PlayStation mouse. It features an option to learn the story through a narrator without having to find the books in the game. The European PAL version is translated and dubbed into French, German, and Swedish in addition to the original English. The game was re-released alongside Hellfire in a 1998 bundle called Diablo Plus Hellfire. 98's Blizzard's Game of the Year collection contained copies of Diablo, StarCraft, and Warcraft 2 Tides of Darkness. The Blizzard Anthology from 2000 contained Diablo, StarCraft, StarCraft Brood War, and Warcraft 2 Battle.net edition. The Diablo Gift Pack from 2000 contained Diablo and Diablo 2, but no expansions, and the Diablo Battle Chest from 2001 contained Diablo, Diablo 2, and Diablo 2's expansion, Lord of Destruction. Later releases of the Diablo Battle Chest also have a strategy guide for Diablo 2 and Lord of Destruction, though subsequent releases do not include the original game, instead featuring Diablo 2, its expansion, and their respective strategy guides. For Diablo's 20th anniversary, it was announced during BlizzCon 2016 that Diablo 3 would receive a free patch called The Darkening of Tristram, which recreates the original game. The patch contains a 16-level dungeon, four main bosses from the 1997 version, and special graphics filters and 8 directions limited movement like the original game. The test patch was released on November 11, 2016 on the Public Test Realm server. Now, when it comes to the general reception of the game, according to Max Schaefer, Blizzard's initial sales estimates for Diablo were modest. He remarked, quote, We were thinking that if everything went well, we would sell around 100,000 copies. Following the game's positive press coverage before its release, estimates by the team were increased to roughly 500,000 copies, David Brevik later said. Pre-orders had surpassed 450,000 units globally by December 17th, at which point the game was set to launch with a shipment of 500,000 units staggered across its initial days on shelves. Diablo debuted as number one on PC Data's monthly computer game sales chart for January 1997. It held the position for another three months before being displaced to number two by X-Wing versus TIE Fighter in May. Diablo remained in second place until September, when it dropped to fifth. It exited the top ten that October. In the United States, the game was the highest-selling computer title of the first six months of 97. Its worldwide sales surpassed 500,000 units by April, 750,000 by June, and 1 million by late November. By the end of 97, Diablo had sold 670,155 copies in the U.S. alone. It was declared the country's fourth best-selling computer game of the year by PC Data, and Schaefer attributed the game's success in part to its December 27th shipment date and noted that, quote, they weren't any other games released after Christmas, so we were the only game in town for a long time. After being absent from PC Data's charts during the final months of 97, Diablo took 13th place in the rankings for February of 98. It remained in the top 20 for another month, dropped out in April, and reappeared in June. It returned to the top 10 from July through October, rising to number 3 in August. For the first half of 98, it was the United States' 14th best-selling computer release. At the time, Jason Ocampo of Computer Game Strategy Plus called Diablo one of the chart's perennial inhabitants, and compared its longevity to that of Myst and NASCAR Racing 2. The game's average sale price during the January-June period was $36. By October, it had fallen to $26. Diablo finished 11th for the year in the United States, with sales of 354,961 units and revenues of $9.57 million in the region. In August 1998, Diablo received a gold sales award from the VUD, indicating sales of at least 100,000 units across Germany, Australia, and Switzerland. 
Diablo's global sales reached almost 2 million units by September 1998. One year later, its sales in the United States alone had grown to 1.17 million copies, which made it the country's seventh highest computer game seller since January of 1993. This number rose to 1.3 million copies by March of 2000. Remarking upon these sales, GameSpot's writer, Deslock, hailed Diablo as an undisputed commercial blockbuster. The game returned in 2000 to PC Data's annual top 20 for the United States, with 260,020 copies sold. Worldwide, Diablo broke 2 million sales by mid-2000 and reached 2.3 million by January of the next year. Ultimately, the game sold over 2.5 million units by mid-2001. According to GameSpot Japan, the game was a big hit among Japanese players. Yeah, Diablo has received critical acclaim as we've been talking, with an average rating of 94 out of 100 on Metacritic. Most praise the game's addictive gameplay, randomly generated dungeons, superior graphics, moody musical score, and great variety of possible magic items, enemies, levels, and quests. This last aspect was noted by GameSpot editor Trent Ward in his review, quote, Similarly, although a set number of monsters is included, only a few will be seen during each full game. This means that players going back for their second or third shot at the game will very likely fight opponents they haven't seen before. Talk about replay value. Reviewers commonly cited the online multiplayer aspect as one of the strongest points of the game, with it being described as greatly extending its replay value. Columnist Bernard Yee commented that compared to contemporary online multiplayer games such as Quake, Diablo gives newcomers a much better chance of enjoying themselves, as they can either cooperate with other players or build their characters so that they can hold their own against hostile players. Computer Games Magazine's Cindy Yan said that weapons, armor, and items are so numerous that you're always acquiring something new to try, not to mention the game's multiplayer universe. She went on to say that for anyone who enjoys a good multiplayer dungeon crawl, Diablo can't be beat. Yan's finished a review with, despite the rather pale storyline, watered-down quests, and a fair amount of necessary repetition, Diablo is a must for anyone interested in just plain fun and Ward stated Diablo is the best game to come out in the past year, and you should own a copy. Period. Macworld's Michael Gowan wrote, The only downside to this role-playing game is that the adventure ends too soon. Steve Klett's review for PC Games, which was reprinted in sister magazine GamePro, commented that Diablo's definitely not your typical dungeon hackfest. In fact, its closest rivals are games like Gauntlet and Loaded on the PlayStation, but they really don't compare. A next-generation critic similarly remarked that Diablo is more of a modern incarnation of Gauntlet than an RPG, but with enough changes and improvements to make it a completely new experience, and one of the best titles so far this year. Next Generation reviewed the PlayStation version of the game, rating it 4 stars out of 5, and stated that if you were addicted to the PC version, you can experience it all over again on PlayStation. And if you haven't played Diablo at all, check this one out. In 1998, PC Gamer declared it the 42nd best computer game ever released, and the editors called it a nearly flawless gaming experience. Akira Nishitani ranked it number one on his personal list of the greatest games of all time in 1997. In 2005, GameSpot chose Diablo as one of the greatest games of all time. It was placed at number 20 on Game Informer's top 100 RPGs of all time list. Diablo won the overall Game of the Year awards of Computer Gaming World, GameSpot, and Computer Game Entertainment for 1996 and was a runner-up for Computer Game Strategy Plus's award in this category. The editors of Computer Gaming World wrote, For this year, Diablo is the game that everyone will remember. It was also named 1996's Best Computer Role-Playing Game by GameSpot, Computer Game Entertainment, and Computer Games. While it was nominated for Computer Gaming World's Role-Playing Game of the Year award, the publication gave the honor to The Elder Scrolls II, Daggerfall, which is a worthy opponent i think oh, i would absolutely say like scrolls. yeah especially when you jump into the rpg eras of that time i mean it's huge and so with all of this info into our hell battling heroes and fighting diablo himself 
Derek, let the people know, why did we choose Diablo and what do we think of it? Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. You know, it's a great launching off point. I think that this game is just another one of those games that does a great job of creating a series of games. And having that good baseline is so important. You know, this was uh, Akira Nishitani's number one greatest games of all time that he put out in 1997. So this is like right after it comes out, you know. It, it, it stands out in the era that it came out in. And then it gives you Diablo 2, which by all accounts is like the best Diablo game. Just a little dated at this point, but the Mm -hmm. mechanics, you know, that's the game that everyone goes back to. And really, I think gives that critical acclaim to the series. And you see how quickly they really move on from Diablo into Diablo two, just phasing Diablo out of all those packages and saying, Hey, you know, Diablo two is this, the superior experience. So that's what we want to give you. But you can't get there without all the things that made Diablo great as well. I want to go back to the beginning. I think it's really interesting um, just talking about Blizzard. Um, Silicone and Synapse is such a tongue twister of a name. Yeah, I'm so glad that they changed that because even just reading that today, mm-hmm. um, hated it. Absolutely hated it. <laughs> but <laughs> one thing that I think we sort of glossed over that I find interesting is the way that all these pieces came together to make Diablo as the result of an accounting scandal, Mm -hmm. which like, this is the era of like Enron. This is really before we have this big, everyone knows Enron. If you've taken business courses or anything like that, because it just totally changed the landscape for how accounting reporting uh, is monitored when mm-hmm. it's public reporting and even when it's you know privately reported as well you want the information to be accurate you don't want people to lie to you so there's there's a whole new ethical thing brought in by that but that you, you think about big business and how it affected wall street and how it affected shell corporations and debt transference and things like that it was affecting even this you know young budding industry in video gaming and just the creative aspect of what was actually yep. happening because these companies were being sold off and acquired from other people that had used these shell companies in that same way to boost their accounting numbers um so that you know, really fascinating to me. I think the, um, as far as the, the game itself goes, a lot of what is in Diablo originally is very standard for the RPG series now. You know, you have mm-hmm. the, the warrior class, the rogue class, the mage class. They added some other things in the expansion, and then they had plans for some other characters as well. You know, they added the monk, the bard, the barbarian. Bard and Barbarian didn't make it, but you know, those those same things I think exist as like tanky characters or more like charismatic characters, where mm-hmm. a rogue sort of fits still within a little bit of a balance there. I'd say the biggest difference maybe here is that the rogue, as far as like being the the in-between between magic and warrior class, maybe now is more like in-between charismatic and warrior class a little bit more. Yeah, um, I would say like... Just depending we see on the it, series. We see it especially into Elder Scrolls, where it's almost like 
Are you going to take a strength-based character, a dexterity-based character, or a magic-based character? Even though you can intertwine those, that's kind of where those skill sets lie, where you're thinking of things like sneaking, lockpicking, long-range bows, um, medium armor was kind of always in that middle ground of, like, dex builds. So it's kind of having that strength, dex, or magic build. Yeah, it has definitely continued on, even as vague as it is in like modern day rpgs it's still like that's like the top of like the ladder and i feel like it's consistently been the best class in in all of the like if you're looking for like the experience in games like this at least for the beginning you know going with the rogue opens up the most doors for you in terms mm-hmm. of what you're able to do in terms of exploring and getting rewards as a result of that. And it's, it's kind of interesting to see even going back into this game that that, in my opinion, still is true. The item durability thing I, I found interesting as well, just because it's one of those things that I think irks a lot of players when it, when it comes to items that you have. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, you think about like magic points and strength points and like obviously your HP and things like that going down, but having to go through this like item degradation thing as well um, is a mechanic that I think is somewhat divisive between a lot of players because you almost want these items that you get in RPGs to be supernatural. You don't yes. want to have just a normal set of iron armor. You want a special set of armor that is specific to your character that, you know, gives you this advantage over these hordes of enemies that you're fighting. But you don't get that when you're just wearing iron armor, steel armor, and you look to move on from stuff like that very quickly, if you can, in games like this. Yeah, and then when you start to get, like, into Diablo 2, 3, and beyond, when you have the computer power pools that can be like, hey, we're going to add thousands of items. It then becomes, instead of like having to deal with your durability, it's like, hey, durability is still a thing you're dealing with in Diablo, but the degradation on it is not as severe as we think, and especially with Diablo 3, where it's like, it breaks, but it breaks on you, like you you just have to go repair it, like it's still like, it's not just gone, but we see that power creep in those games start to come up when you can go to like New Game Plus, or even further in the game, you're like, hey, this sword, or this thing armor, whatever, has been amazing. But I just yeah. found a better thing. So <laughs> it, it, it almost becomes like, hey, let's still deal with those degradation aspects of it, but there's still so much more for me to find and farm and try and get through different means, whether it's crafting, buying, boss drops, loot drops, whatever. Um, it, it definitely improves that scenario of it versus like, I think you're talking about games, all the new Legend of Zelda stuff, where it's like, hey, all of these weapons minus the master sword are gonna have a degradation life and you can't get them back. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely one that I think of. I think it is, it is interesting and it makes sense. There's like a realistic aspect to, mm-hmm. okay, you have a sword, you're living in like medieval times and you go and fight in a battle. You want to go back and sharpen that sword. I'm sure. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you know, that stuff makes sense to me. It's just, I think, such a hard system to find balance in within video oh, yeah. games. It's either way too much degradation or it's just not enough. And it's more of just a, a minor inconvenience in that regard. So interesting, though, that it's even in you know this first Diablo and they're thinking about things like that going back 20 plus years. I, I, that's really where I wanted to go with that. I think mm-hmm. also as far as you know, this being the launching off point for the series that sort of retconning the lore um, was an interesting choice as well. And I think that's emblematic of modern video game writing, where it's not just you have a warrior and that's good enough and you sort of create the story in your own mind and Mm -hmm. create that person's background in your own mind. They want to give you things and they want to, I think, have those ties so that, one, you have a reason to keep playing the series because the story isn't done being told. But also it gives you, I think, 
more of an emotional connection to these characters if you aren't the type of person that has that, I, I think, that ability or even just that desire to come up with these own backgrounds from your own imagination. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a, it's a great jumping off point with that where it's like they talked about, hey, we don't want to have this three-hour-long session of building a character. What's the face look like? What are the stat builds? What are we going to try and do to have their background? It's like, hey, it's, it's very much, because if we're thinking of this as like D&D 1, so first edition of Dungeons & Dragons, it's like, hey, give me a warrior. I want to go dungeon crawl. I don't care who they are. Give me faceless warrior number two. And then we'll, you know, we'll have this be what they do. And and we see that change later into Diablo 2, not in the sense of like the creative character aspect of it, but they then adopt second edition Dungeons and Dragons. We see a lot more of the classes from it. We see a lot more of the combat elements that have changed since the first one. And then when we get to Diablo 3, it's almost like a shift from like D&D 3.5 to 4 into a little bit of 5, but more 3.5 allowing a little bit more customization. So they kind of followed along with that when it comes to the dungeon crawl thing. And you're right. Whenever you want to just jump into maybe an RPG that's not necessarily crazy story heavy, but you're like, I love exploring, I love battling monsters, and I love cool shiny things. This really fits that bill and did it really well, like really disrupting the market of these really, really heavy RPGs like Fallout, like Elder Scrolls, that were having so much of this story built into it, whereas this was much more of that, like, RPG light. I want to just go and level my character <laughs> up, and that's it. And I, I find that point really interesting because this era of gaming, you would think, okay, we want to draw inspiration from other games within our genre. But mm-hmm. They're looking at, you know, NHL. They're looking yeah. at other sports games because there aren't that many established series that are really doing things great. They're still building up these series mm-hmm. and these franchises, you know, at this time period. So to look at a sports game and say, I want something more like this and how that team operates. And I want it to be in this fantasy setting. Like, let's look at some, some really outside the box things. I think that that's really, really cool. And it's also interesting to think about where this game's competing in terms of sales. It's, it's up there, right, and, and going in and out of the charts, mm-hmm. and you might see it next to a NASCAR racing game. It's yeah. like, we, <laughs> when's the last time that you really saw like NASCAR on the charts as far as video games go? Like That's not a high priority. They have those games available if you like NASCAR, you like... Um, racing games, more like team racing games like that, um, sports style racing games, like they exist, but I think it's way more niche now. Whereas we were so much more starved for video game content back then, where now mm-hmm. it's like, how will I ever find the time? Back then, it's like, there are five games that are worth playing. Let's get them because they're well made. And Diablo was one of the best uh, right there alongside NASCAR, apparently. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, it, it's, it's that jumping of the time of, of how do you disrupt something to make it interesting. And early Blizzard really did with Warcraft, later into Starcraft, with Diablo. I mean, so many of these games were like, hey, what if we take an established genre idea, but we make it unique enough or interesting enough that we can really hone it in and make it our own. And that's what Blizzard did. It's what Blizzard did for 20 years from that point on and is still doing to this day. I mean, there's plenty of arguments back and forth on different practices and different games they have now and being the king of microtransactions. But at the time, <laughs> these were, these were yeah. definitely those establishing games that truly did establish Blizzard in and of itself as a top contender. And it makes me sad a little bit because when you read about this era, I know that we can never really go back to it because it's the wild west of video gaming. And there's so much uh, importance stressed on the user experience, mm-hmm. like a lot of games that are like, hey, I just want this game on as many computers as possible. I don't yeah. care about the amount of money, the bottom line, like let the suits worry about that. I'm going to be 
just a, a game designer and love my job. Whereas now the suits are saying, hey, you got to work 80 hours this week because we need to put this game out by this time. Otherwise, it's mm-hmm. not going to be financially viable for us anymore. And there's not that, I think, that magical Renaissance-style period for video gaming anymore. Very microtransaction-heavy, very, like, service-style gaming-heavy. And that makes me sad, because looking back on the way that this series started, obviously such a different tone, I think, to that Mm -hmm. process. Well, and the shift that we do see, as we're recording this, uh, Baldur's Gate 3, so similar in the realms of Diablo, has just released. And their whole thing is, hey, there's no microtransactions. You pay your 60 bucks. We'll have some DLC, and they already do, for some bonus content. But it's like, if you want just the game itself, you can play start to finish, 100-some-odd hours for 60 bucks. And, you know, there's there's a lot of leadership in different companies because this was by larian larian's an, an, an irish studio they did like divinity original sin and original sin 2 and very similar to what Baldur's gate is and there's big wigs coming out being like it won't sell it's an anomaly it's just weird no other games can do this and larian even kind of fed into that when they did a uh, beta test for the game and they're like oh, if this is all the beta numbers we get like We'll do fine. We'll break even. And, you know, it's come out. They've broken the Steam charts for concurrent players. They're exploding. I mean, Reddit's all about it. There's memes everywhere. Like, even, like, YouTube videos I have popping up of, quote-unquote, non-gamers are like, honestly, I got into it because it it sucked me in. And so you can still see some of that today, and we're, we're starting to get that hashtag gamers rise up <laughs> type stuff of, like, <laughs> fighting back with your wallet of, like, I don't want a battle pass every month. I don't want right. to pay you 10 bucks to have the opportunity to earn rewards. I'm giving you $10 right. so that I can like grind your game to earn my $10 back basically. Right. And so I, people don't want that. They want these things where like, Hey, if you add some DLC cosmetics or even microtransaction cosmetics, like, Hey, it's two bucks for this. It's not the most ideal, but it's better than so much of the predatory things that are going on where it's like, hey, it's not the full game you're getting. You're getting most of it. But if you want the true experience, you got to do this, 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 this. There's definitely nothing that I dislike more than having to feel like a video game has to be my job in order for me to be able to compete in it. And games are really set up as a whole, I think to be completionist, if you are someone that has completionist tendencies, it's really difficult in that modern style of gaming to feel satisfied because mm-hmm. you have to be playing all the time, many, many hours every day. You know, you've got timed quests, like you were saying, you've got the battle passes, the extra investment. And then it's like, you know, when do you cut your losses too? Because it's all right, I've spent. I bought the game. I bought the battle passes. I played mm-hmm. it this month, this month, this month. You know, do you look at it like, well, this is basically my version of buying tickets to see a movie and, you know, just throw that cost out? Or do you look at it as, I spent money on this video game to have it forever and enjoy it for as long as I can, as it's relevant? And, you know, it, do you find satisfaction in those things? So I definitely think people are looking more for that Baldur's Gate style experience where it's like hey i bought this game i have this game you know it's not without a few like silly issues and things like that but it's got that opportunity for fun it's got that um that i don't know that just that wonder that i think is more reminiscent of games from this era late 90s early 2000s that we don't see a lot of now and you see that people are hungry for that stuff what I'm curious to see is if it does enough, because the math doesn't lie, sure, people might love it, most concurrent gamers, but if that bottom line doesn't end up beating out those microtransaction games, they're just going to keep making the microtransaction games. It is, and it's unfortunate pulling up some news. Sorry to derail where we are, but we're talking about Diablo. When you're looking at Diablo, the original, and even into two, and even into most of three, Three open the marketplace, but you could play the whole game yeah. without these microtransactions or seasons, which were later added in. Sure. Diablo 4 now runs off of seasons and battle passes and other stuff. Yep. Article released a day ago from a recording. Diablo 4 has dropped off faster than Overwatch 2 in World of Warcraft Dragonflight. 
which is really bad to hear for a brand new game in 2023 that I know I was extremely looking forward to. Most Diablo fans and most RPG fans were like, they love Diablo 3 or, or worship Diablo 2, fell in love with yes. Diablo 3, even if it wasn't the same thing. And then with 4, it's just kind of like, it's the facade of a game over a payment system. Yep. And it's um, an unfortunate reality of the industry where it sits right now, but all we can do is, you know, play games like Baldur's Gate and, and hope that games that have existed for a long time and were successful go back to what they were successful for. But just got to see where them dollars fall. Exactly. So bringing it back for our Diablo itself, Derek, what would you give Diablo as a rating? I think it's like an 8 out of 10. I, mm -hmm. I, I do think this game is fun, but it, it made so many improvements, you know, going into Diablo 2 that I think Diablo mm -hmm. 2 is more the 10 out of 10 game. Like I said, uh, you know, I've, I've summed up everything that I really love about it, and it's more about the establishment of this franchise and what they were willing to do to make that happen. And I think that it has an interesting story that probably gets glossed over a little bit just with the sheer um, happenstance that needed to occur for this game to actually be made the way that it was. Absolutely agree with that. I, I think Diablo, again, shifted the dynamic of doing this real-time, actual play, active play, versus this kind of turn-based strategy. And I think that was a very big shift into these RPG realms of being super story-heavy, combat maybe taking not a back seat but like a side by side a shotgun seat with story whereas this like threw it into the driver's seat and it really shifted a whole dynamic of other games to follow uh, whether it be in the same era of the 90s and early 2000s or looking today to a lot of indies that have taken the idea of diablo or the random loot pool and really applied that to their game and has, and has set up this whole subgenre. and we use the term roguelike in the episode, which truly was not a term at the time until we start getting into more of Rogue and how it applies along with the Diablo mindset to games today, especially indie titles. And so it is really cool to see, especially Rogue and the games at this time, establish this core concept of a gaming era is really cool. So if I had to give it a rating, I would give it, you know... Probably a hell's worth of Diablo sauce. Um, I don't know if Diablo knew that he was going to have a sauce named after him, even though the whole, you know, end of the earth type thing. Um, but he does have a sauce. Uh, it is very spicy, just like him um, out of 10. Nice. I like Thank it. You. I like it <laughs> to spice. I like it to spice. Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall and Derek Baker. The intro and outro music for our podcast was given to us by our friend Evan Barr, and our lovely artwork was provided by Aaron Shattuck. Beautiful people, and want to thank those over at our beautiful Patreon who are helping us out. If you would like to check it out for yourself, you can check it out at patreon.com slash finish the fight. We've got some physical and digital rewards, various other aspects of it, and some beautiful fun times, some might say. And I want to thank a few of those beautiful select members with Snide T-Bird, Nick Hyman, and Anthony Gooch. Thank you so much for your support. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or most likely your favorite podcast listening platform. If you haven't yet, drop us a review. It helps us out a lot. We love to hear from you. We also love to hear from you in the Q&As that exist on Spotify in every episode. There's also some polls from time to time. Love to hear your thoughts and all those questions. Come on by. And as always, you can check us out on Twitch. You can see me at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That is twitch.tv slash sourman70. As well as Derek over at twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. That is twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. You can follow this podcast on Instagram and Twitter. We're also on Discord. It's free to join. And the link is in the description for the episode below. We would love to see you there. And with that, this has been our coverage of Diablo. Are there any other big RPG-esque games you want us to cover? Is there anything that rivals what Diablo was able to create? Maybe Baldur's Gate 3? Um, let us know in our socials, on Spotify answers, and whatnot. 
But with that, as always, I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I am your host, new sleep-deprived dad. <laughs> and this has been Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast.